Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Championship Series, and in today's game, that would 
been overruled. I mean, replay would have taken over. That wouldn't have counted. But back then, it counts. It's a most memorable, one of the most memorable home runs of Derek Jeter's career, all thanks to Jeffrey Mayer. And, of course, the Yankees go on to win the World Series. Uh, their first World Series title since 1978 happened in 1996. Charlie Hayes makes the catch with Jeter right beside him. Became a World Series champion for the first time as a rookie when the Yankees ended that 17-year title drought by beating the Braves in six games. Uh, they were down 2-0 in that series. You could forget. They lost the first two games at home, won the next three in Atlanta, which nobody thought was probable. And then, of course, win game six at home. John Wetland on the mound uh, after Rivera pitched the seventh and the eighth. Who could forget Joe Girardi's uh, two-run triple late in that game. And then, of course, Derek Jeter standing right beside Charlie Hayes when Hayes caught the final out in foul territory uh, to send the Yankees to their 24th World Series championship in franchise history. And then in 1998, obviously that was the year Bernie Williams won the batting title. It was just unstoppable at the plate for the Yankees as well as the rest of Major League Baseball. But that was also the year Derek Jeter picked up his first of many, but his first 200-hit season. I mean, he reached the 2,000-hit uh, plateau uh, eight times in his career. And, of course, the first coming in 1998, he hit 324 with 203 hits. They win their second World Series title that year in October against the San Diego Padres. I mean, the 1998 Yankees, of course, are the winniest uh, team uh, in history with 125 wins, the first 114 in the regular season, then 11 more in the postseason that ended with the franchise second championship in three seasons, and that was the 24th overall, so the 23rd was in 1996, 24th in 1998, uh, and then, of course, in 1999, as a leadoff hitter, or the number two hitter for that matter, um, for about 12,000 of his career plate appearances, Jeter had his only 100 RBI season in 1999 when he established career highs for average. He had 349 in 1999, hit 24 homers in 1999, had 102 ribbies in 1999, and RBI number 100 was on a ground rule double in a, in a 6-5 loss to Tampa Bay against the Devil Rays, but that was his only 100 RBI season with the Yankees in 20 years. And then, of course, later that year in October, uh, hit a career high, 349. He was a career 310 hitter and hit 300 uh, or better 12 times but never won a batting title. I mean, 99 was his best bet when he hit 349, but of course finishes second to Nomar, Nomar Garcia Parra. He hit 357 playing shortstop for the Boston Red Sox that year. Uh, obviously, Jeter had the better career. Garcia Parra didn't work out in Boston, was traded in 04, went to the Dodgers, had a little bit of a legacy there, but not much. Now he's an analyst. Derek Jeter's in the Hall of Fame. And then later in 1999, it was the third World Series title for Jeter in the core four. Uh, I think it was their second, yeah, their second World Series win uh, against the Atlanta Braves, the third in the last four years. So at this point, they won in 1996, 1998, and 1999. And then in 2000, of course, they'd make it four. But before that, it was in the summer of uh, 2000, Jeter was... Uh, the All-Star Game MVP. It was his third All-Star Game, uh, it was, and it was his first as a starter. He celebrated it with an MVP performance at Turner Field in Atlanta. He was 3-for-3 uh, three three at the plate, two-run single off of Al Leiter, who was with the Mets at the time, and uh, the AL won it 6-3, and it would turn out to be a, a big factor in the World Series because Jeter would face Al Leiter again. Uh, the Yankees would win their fourth title in five years and another World Series MVP for Jeter. He hit 409 in the World Series, five World Series games. The Yankees were, I think they won in five games against the Mets in the first Subway Series in World Series history. 
become the first baseball team to three-peat since the 1972, 1973, and 1974 Oakland Athletics. Jeter, of course, having a big series against Al Leiter in that series with a pair of homers and then who can forget this is arguably one of his biggest moments in Yankees history I think it was October 13th 2001 Oakland California the flip throw I mean in game three of the American League Division Series Yankees are down two games to nothing Derek Jeter positioned himself between home plate and first base to retrieve a throw to the plate from the outfield in which two cutoff men were missed and then instantaneously made a perfect foot throw to home to retire Jeremy Giambi, who was rounding third base. I mean, the Yankees, again, were down two games to nothing, two games to zero in the best of five series, leading one nothing in the seventh inning when Derek Jeter made this great play. And then they held on to win the game one nothing, and then they would go on to win the series three games to do en route to another American League pennant. And Jeter, actually, I, mean, I think this was after his press conference with Larry Walker for the Hall of Fame when they put their jerseys on. He actually headed over to MLB Network for, like, the first time ever, for, like, the first time in history and talked things over with Harold Reynolds. Talked about the flip play where he threw out Jeremy Giambi at home plate. He said, and I quote, to quote Michael Cole, my job is to watch the runner. The runner at first was Jeremy Giambi. He said, so the ball goes down the line, so my job here is to see if there's going to be a play at third base. But once you see that Giambi is going to go home, my job is to then be the third cutoff man to redirect the throw to third base. Now we don't practice actual uh, shuffle passing the ball to home plate. If you look at that replay, if I actually wanted to throw to third base, we could have gotten Terrence Long at third. And Jeter here is very quick to point out that right, the then right fielder Shane Spencer threw the ball over the first two cutoff men which allowed him to make that incredible defensive play that we all remember from 2001 he also said that if Shane Spencer hits one of those first two cutoff men that Giambi could have been out by about 10 feet what's notable here though is that Jeter pointed out and this is pretty impressive is that he was able to tell from the second the ball left Shane Spencer's hand that the two first uh, cutoff men would have no shot at making the play whatsoever Jeter also joked, considering he played with Jason Giambi for about eight years, that the uh, Giambi family is, quote-unquote, not very fast, so he knew that he had a chance to get him out at home plate. He said, and I quote, I looked at Giambi to see where he was before I actually got to, got to throw the ball. He said, when I was about here, which was in the middle of the diamond, I guess he said, uh, I could see that we had an opportunity to get him. Now, if you still see the ball in the air and it's been a clean exchange to throw home, worst-case scenario, if you look at the replay, it could have gone to third. And after breaking down that, again, a very iconic moment in sports history, Harold Reynolds actually then brought up a video of a play from a 2011 regular season game against the Tampa Bay Rays, which Derek Jeter almost had a shot to make a similar play. And, and I've totally forgot about this game. The ball, again, was hit down the right field line. And as the throw was coming into the infield, you can see Derek Jeter starting to drift towards home plate, just like he did, uh, I think it was 10 years earlier in 2001. The throw ended up going to one of the other cutoff men, so Jeter didn't end up having a chance to make a play, but it showed that flip play kind of same, similar situation that was uh, something that Derek Jeter was always prepared for, and he said the flip will certainly go down as one of the most spectacular defensive plays in Major League Baseball history, and the fact that Derek Jeter put himself in the right position to make that play is what makes that so special. And like I mentioned earlier, that, that was the first Yankee win in that series, and the Yankees come back to win it three games to two. They were down 2-0 in the series, come back to win it three games to two. They 
get past the 116-win Seattle Mariners uh, in the ALCS, which was very impressive. Then the World Series, of course. Who, who could ever forget Halloween night that dread into November 1st, first game in Major League Baseball history that was played in November. Of course, Reggie Jackson forever became Mr. October with his three-homer game in the Yankees World Series clincher in 1977. But Derek Jeter became known as Mr. November for his 10th inning walk-off homer that beat the Arizona Diamondbacks in Game 4 of the 2001 World Series three minutes after October 31st became November 1st. So it was 4-2 to two Diamondbacks, I believe, or three to one Diamondbacks, excuse me, bottom of the ninth inning, two outs, runner on first base, Tino Martinez versus Bunya and Kim, and Kim gives up the two-run homer to Tino Martinez into the right field bleachers that everyone remembers to tie the game at three. Then in the bottom of the tenth, Derek Jeter goes the other way, hits it right over the wall, skims over the right field wall, the short porch for a vintage Derek Jeter homer, arguably his most popular and most uh, iconic home run in pinstripes right there uh, to become Mr. November. That gave uh, that, that tied the series at two games apiece and then the Yankees ended up winning game five in extras as well uh, to go up 3-2 but then they end up blowing it uh, no four peak for the Yankees Mariano Rivera everybody remembers giving up that little looper to Luis Gonzalez Craig Council scores the game winning run and uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks win their first and only World Series championship in 2001 uh, the next big moment happened in 2003 it was June 3rd 2003 when Derek Jeter was officially named the captain of the New York Yankees. I mean, the unquestionable Yankees leaders for years. Jeter was named the club's, I think, 11th captain. I mean, I can't name all of them, but, of course, Lou Gehrig, Thurman Munson, Willie Randolph, Don Mattingly, just off the top of my head. And he's the first in eight years after that. So eight years, he was named in 2003. So Don Mattingly, of course, the last Yankees captain. And, of course, he's named the first one in eight years in a news conference before an interleague game against the Cincinnati Reds at Great American Ballpark. Uh, 2004, July 1st, this is another iconic Jeter moment, another iconic iconic defensive play for Jeter. I mean, who's going to forget Trot Nixon uh, batting for the Boston Red Sox in the 12th inning of a 4-4 game, arguably one of the greatest Yankee Red Sox games of all time, uh, um, July 1st, 2004, Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, and Nixon hits a foul pop that appeared to be headed for the stands until Derek Jeter raced over to the line from shortstop and dove over the photographer's well into the seats to make a sensational diving catch. I mean, uh, I think it was New York City police officers and fans helped Jeter back to the field. His chin was bloodied. His right cheek was swollen. Jeter was on his way to the hospital for x-rays when the Yankees won 5-4 in 13 innings when John Flaherty hit a walk-off uh, RBI ground rule double, I believe, and the Yankees won the game 5-4 in 13 innings. I remember Pedro Martinez got the start in that game, served up a long home run to Jorge Posada. Um, and again, that's, that's back in the heart of that Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. That's the year the Red Sox broke their curse. That was before they broke their curse. I remember Manny Ramirez hit two home runs in that game. Uh, very, very intense game. Still a very intense rivalry at the time. Not so intense anymore, but a very intense rivalry at the time. One of the greatest, most iconic Yankee games in history, and that's the dive catch in uh, the summer of 2004. And then, of course, 2009, there was a long stretch there. I'd say from 05 to 
08, nothing really going on. I mean, of course, 2008, uh, the final game in the New Yankee Stadium, Derek Jeter with arguably one of the greatest speeches in all time, saying that they're going to take all the old memories and bring them across the street into the new stadium, as well as all like the greatest fans in the world. He said, I think it's time to salute you, the greatest fans in the world, which was arguably one of the greatest speeches in Yankee history to go alongside uh, Lou Gehrig's I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth speech. But again, that was one of the greatest speeches, at least uh, on the night of the old stadium. Brian Hoke talked about that a little bit the last time we talked on the show. And then, of course, the year they go back to the World Series, 2009, September 11th, 2009, and that's when Jeter passed Lou Gehrig, Yankees Hall of Fame first baseman, for first place on the Yankees' all-time hits list. Uh, it was a rainy Friday night at Yankee Stadium. Jeter, I think it was two for four, had an RBI in that game. Yankees won 10-4 over the Baltimore Orioles, who were second win at the time. Um, and that was, uh, again, highlighted by his third inning opposite field single on the 10th pitch of an at-bat against Orioles right-hander pitcher Chris Hillman and the hit was I think 2,722 for Jeter. Jeter passed Garrett for most hits um, I think at Yankee Stadium in 2008 during one of the final homestands against the White Sox off of Clayton Richard. Uh, that passed him for the most hits at Yankee Stadium and now this was for the most hits as a New York Yankee and that's one more than Lou Gehrig had playing in his entire career with the Yankees from 1923 to 1939 and then of course they capped that year off with his fifth World Series title November 4th, 2009. Yankees took out the defending champion Philadelphia Phillies. They won the World Series in six games. Hideki Matsui wins the Most Valuable Player Award. Uh, Rivera gets the final out. Chopper to second base. Shane Victorino hits a chopper to Robinson Cano. On to Mark Teixeira. Yankees are finally back on top as Joe Buck mediocrely screamed. I mean, the franchise, that was the Yankees' first title since 2000. And the 27th overall, it's their last World Series title, was the fifth and final one for Jeter, who hit 417 in that World Series with 11 hits and 27 at-bats. Just saying. And then, of course, 2011, July 9th. This is this may be one of his more memorable home runs, if not Mr. Uh, the Mr. November shot. His 3,000th hit, Jeter became the 28th player and the first Yankee to reach 3,000 hits uh, with his second-inning home run off of a guy who he owned in his career, David Price, when he was with the Rays. And the Yankees won that game 5-4. He went 5-for-5 five five that day. Uh, got the game-winning hit, tie-breaking, RBI single in the bottom of the eighth. Rivera gets the final out in the ninth. Another uh, Hollywood script for Jeter. And then, of course, I think in 2013, no, these weren't big moments, but uh, comes back off the DL. Remember, he broke his ankle in, I believe it was game one of the A, ALCS against the Tigers comes back in July after a 10 month, not 10 month, maybe an eight month hiatus, uh, rehabbing and recovering first pitch off of Matt Moore takes him deep the other way. I mean, total movie script, right? I mean, and then the next year, the moment that everyone's going to remember when they remember Derek Jeter, September 25th, 2014, final home game at Yankee Stadium. And per usual, Derek Jeter found a way to make a memorable day Extra special for him. Walk-off RBI single off of Orioles right-hander Evan Meek. Yankees win it 6-5 at Yankee Stadium, I believe, in the bottom of the second or top of the second inning. He's playing shortstop. The game was tied at two. Two outs in the inning. Two runners on base. The count was 2-2. Two and two. Two's all around for the captain. Screaming Derek Jeter. He's choked up the entire game. Gets a final at bat in the bottom of the ninth inning. Wins it. 
RBI single. I mean, it's just a movie script. Derek Jeter, where fantasy becomes reality. Did you have any doubt? That's what Michael Kay said. Uh, CC Sabathia was the first one there. Derek Jeter actually jokingly said on Jimmy Fallon that year uh, after he retired during the winter that uh, if he was thrown out, if I forget who the pinch runner was, but if he was thrown out at home plate, and it was a very close play at home plate, if he was thrown out, CC was already halfway to second base celebrating with Jeter. It was just going to be Derek Jeter and CC Sabathia celebrating in the middle of the field in a tie game going into extra innings. So Yankees win that game. Very exciting moment for Derek Jeter. Um, I want to get to the interview with Yes Network analyst Jack Curry that we had back in the winter meetings uh, in San Diego last month talking about why Derek Jeter wasn't going to be a unanimous Hall of Famer in his eyes. He felt like someone wasn't going to vote for him, and he was, he was pretty right. One person out of 368 writers did not vote for Derek Jeter, and he'll explain why. He talks a little bit about his book with David Cohn as well as uh, some Garrett Cole news. This was the day Garrett Cole signed his contract with the Yankees about I want to say an hour before he signed his contract with the Yankees, I got to sit down and talk with Jack Curry at the baseball winter meetings in San Diego. So let's get to that interview. And afterwards, I want to uh, 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 explain how Derek Jeter's career kind of resembled, kind of mirrored in a way. Not that he was as dominant as he was, but kind of mirrored Kobe Bryant with the Los Angeles Lakers. Of course, Kobe Bryant, unfortunately, uh, tragically passing away alongside his daughter in that helicopter crash just a few days ago. I wanted to break down both Derek Jeter and Kobe Bryant's career side by side because the numbers are identical, even though Kobe Bryant dominated his sport, whereas Jeter kind of scratching clawed his way to the top and i want to compare those after this interview with jack curry and after this quick message from mecca nutrition you're a real zach before we go okay out here with yes network analyst and co-author of full count with david Cohn, uh jack curry thanks for taking the time to sit down with me first question i wanted to ask you of course because you guys are again about to go on the air on the yankees hot stove obviously the garrett cole news steven strasburg just signs that record-breaking deal 245 million 100 ups the ante for garrett cole what do you think the mindset right now is for brian cashman from your perspective going into this obviously the 300 million mark has been thrown around but do you think he's going to try and stay under that maybe like 275 280 what, what's exactly your perspective going into this it's a great question jack and we're, we're all following this and we, yeah. we all throw numbers on and we want to try and figure out through the tea leaves what is going to happen first and foremost i was surprised that strasburg got 245 million i did not think he was going to get that rich a contract and you said it well now that strasburg got that cole is better he's yeah. two years younger and the same representing him is Scott Boris and he is absolutely going to shoot for a higher number and he'll get it. Do we know what that's going to be? Is it is it eight for two eighty? Is it eight for three hundred? Is it is it nine? Does he say because Cole is two years younger, he should get a nine year deal because then he'll be pitching at the same thirty eight that Strasbourg will be when his contract ends. I think from a Yankee perspective they always have a number in mind. I don't know exactly what that number is, but what I have been told is their plan and they've already done this was to make a very, very competitive offer. And do you feel like the Angels yes, the Angels and the Dodgers were also in on them? Obviously the Angels are one of the more serious contenders. The Dodgers have kind of said to be lurkers, like in the shadows. Do you feel like that offer is coming soon? Because Scott Boris even said to the media earlier he plans on walking out of San Diego this week with a contract. I think it has to be because those were the parameters that Boris said he wanted to get those offers this week. There was an interesting scene in the lobby about an hour ago where Boris spoke to the media and I was part of the throng that was around him, probably about a hundred reporters. 
teams around him. And the only team he really mentioned was the Yankees. He said the Yankees and other teams have made very thorough presentations to call. I agree with you. I think it's right now Yankees versus Angels. I think the Dodgers are on the periphery. That could change. The Dodgers could swoop in and, and make an, an offer of X, and, and that could end up being something that Cole decides to take. But I think the Yankees are very big players in this. They've targeted him as their number one off-season priority, and I think that they're going to try and figure out a way to make that happen. And obviously he's the big fish that they're going after right now, but are they keeping close tabs on guys like Brett Gardner, who's seeking a multi-year deal? And, of course, Austin Romine, who I would consider is one of the best backup catchers in baseball right now. Well, the two players you just mentioned, I've spoken to both of their agents here, and as far as Gardner goes, I would be very surprised if there's not a reunion between the Yankees and Gardner. It's the only team he's ever played for. He has value because he is an elite defender in left field and center field. He had a career-high 28 home runs last season. He's changed his swing to elevate the ball more, and he's a leader in that clubhouse. So I absolutely think the Yankees are keeping tabs on him. There have been conversations. They just haven't come to a deal yet. As far as Romine goes, I agree with you. I think the Yankees should value Romine, and I think having a backup catcher who can fill in for Sanchez is of vital importance. But I think the Yankees really like Nagashioka, and the, the vibe that I'm getting is that Romine will not be returning to the Yankees. That's disappointing for me. The Yankee fan love Austin Romine. I, like, he's one of the few backup catchers in baseball, I feel like. When you plug him into the lineup, it's have a positive mindset going into it. Yeah, and I talked to Roman at the end of last season about his future, and he, he absolutely said that New York is a place he would like to stay, but again, you get into the offseason, and Higashioka is a guy who's out of options, so perhaps the Yankees see him as that that backup catcher who can slide in, and there are, there's a lot to like about Higashioka, but I think Roman's someone who's done it, and has done it well for the last two years. I mean, look at his numbers for the last two years, played about 150 games, an OPS of around 730, that's pretty good for a backup catcher. Oh, yeah. And last question before I let you go. I know you got to go on the air pretty soon here. Derek Jeter, obviously, first year on the ballot this year. No question, first ballot Hall of Famer. In your estimation, Mariano Rivera, first unanimous Hall of Famer. Is Derek Jeter a unanimous Hall of Famer? And if not, what's, what's going to be the argument made against him for some of the writers? Yeah, the thing is, I have a Hall of Fame vote, and he will absolutely get my vote. To try and dig inside the mind of someone who wouldn't vote for Derek Jeter, it's kind of laughable to yeah. me if someone found a flaw or decided there was some reason that they weren't going to vote for Jeter. For some reason, I don't think Jeter is going to be unanimous. I think that there will be a voter or more than one voter who maybe talks about his defense uh, and finds a way to take a shot at a career that is absolutely a first ballot Hall of Fame career, almost 3,500 hits, the postseason records, all, all that he was able to do. So I, I love that Mariano finally broke through that and got unanimous selection because I don't think it should have ever taken this long. I just have the suspicion that there, there will be at least one voter who, who doesn't vote for Jeter and, and, and shame on that voter if it happens. And do you think playing in New York, obviously, under the bright lights, nobody handled New York better than Derek Jeter? Like, if he were to play for the Padres or the Twins, like, he, I don't think, obviously, wouldn't be a first ballot Hall of Famer, wouldn't have gotten the same recognition that he did in New York. I think Jeter would have been a Hall of Famer wherever he played.
right. he might not have gotten the same hype and the same recognition yeah. because New York brings that. But I think Derek Jeter, where, wherever he played, would, would have had the same type of career. He had a lot of complimentary pieces around him, some great players in that lineup, and that obviously is always going to help a player. But I, I would never say that just because he landed in New York that that made him a Hall of Famer. I think that contributed to who he he became as a player. But I think he would have been a Hall of Famer in any city. And one last question I just thought of right now. Just bought the book, Full Count, with David Cohn and yourself. Is it more of, uh, obviously, the from life beginning to childhood to end of his career, David Cohn, but is also more of, like, the analytics side when it comes to pitching compared to yesterday's game and or compared from yesterday's game to today's game? When we started working on this book, David and I, it was going to be a, a pitching journey and a lot of pitching stories and a lot of pitching theories in there start doing the interviews and I think we sat down 42 times I think we had 42 or 43 interviews it became a pitching journey and a personal journey so there are a lot of stories about his childhood and his father being his best pitching coach and there's yeah. stories about his teammates some that we just mentioned Derek Cheater, Mariano Rivera, Dwight Good and Daryl Strawberry there there are tales about all of those guys in there as far as analytics and that's obviously a hot topic and David loves talking analytics touch upon it in the book, but I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's not an analytically driven book. Oh, yeah. There's not 50 pages on analytics. We, we talk about his career and anybody who loves pitching and just loves a great baseball story will be very interested in, in reading what David had to say. I, I have never met a pitcher who spoke more eloquently and smartly about the craft than David Cohn. I think he's definitely one of the more equipped players-formed analysts yeah, out there. I agree with Not you. Not that they're all great. I'm, I'm biased. He's my teammate, but <laughs> I, I love listening to Coney during a game. And what he does during a game, too, is he... He doesn't just talk about what happens. He, he talks about what might happen before it happens as a pitcher, and I, I think that's very impressive to be able to do that. I just got my copy last week. Can't wait to read it. Jack Curry, thanks so much for your time. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's only going to break up with you. He's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Hey, what'd you say? Once again, to Yes Network analyst Jack Curry for taking the time to speak to me a couple months ago in San Diego at the winter meetings. Remember to go pick up your hard copy of Full Count, The Education of a Pitcher by David Cohn and Jack Curry, talking about the life and the career of David Cohn. You can pick it up at any Barnes & Noble near you. With that being said, I want to talk to you about Derek Jeter and Kobe Bryant's careers, respectively. And before I start comparing them, because there are a lot of similarities between both their careers, Derek Jeter actually put out an emotional uh, article on uh, the Players' Tribune uh, to Kobe Bryant. He said, the Kobe I'll remember. That's the piece that he wrote on uh, January 26th, the day of Kobe Bryant's passing. Again, thoughts and prayers go out to the Bryant family as well as all of his friends and family who are suffering through this. Um, Derek Jeter, I just want to read what he wrote here. Um, he wrote an emotional essay about Bryant's relationship with his four daughters after his uh, tragic death on Sunday. He said, and I quote, all I ever needed to know about Kobe Bryant was this. 
that throughout our friendship, the most meaningful conversations we had, they were always about family. Put aside one of the all-time great basketball careers for a second. Put aside his famous work ethic, the Mamba mentality, that incredible will to win. I'll let everyone else tackle that. But when I think of Kobe, I really just end up thinking about those special few personal conversations that we were lucky enough to share together each time one of us had a new baby daughter. I end up thinking about how here was the here was this guy who was beyond gifted as an athlete, who was obsessed with being a champion, who was known as an absolute assassin with the ball in his hands. And in the moments I got to spend with him, he didn't really talk about any of that. He cared much more about being a husband to Vanessa and a dad to his girls. He loved his family, and he was his family. That's what was important, and that's the Kobe I'll remember. I want to give my deepest condolences to Vanessa and the rest of the Bryant family and to the families of the other passengers. Tragedies like this have a cruel way of reminding us of what's important in life, spending time with our loved ones and being there for them no matter what. Kobe just loved being a dad, and when it comes to his legacy, I really hope we're able to take the time to remember that is an essential part of it. Rest in peace to Gianna Bryant, rest in peace to the other passengers on board, and rest in peace to Kobe Bryant, who knew that his life was as only as important as the love that he had for the people in it. Who knew that he was born to play basketball, but it was family over everything. And you can go check that article out at the Players' Tribune right now, Derek Jeter's tribute to Kobe Bryant. Now, I wanted to compare greatness here. I mean, their stats are identical when you compare them eye for eye. Obviously, Derek Jeter didn't own MLB like Kobe Bryant owned the NBA for the better part of two decades. And obviously, I mean, despite their levels of talent... Both Derek Jeter and Kobe Bryant commended the respect of their peers in their sport. I mean, Derek Jeter was the face of MLB for 20 years. Kobe Bryant was the face of the NBA for 20 years. You could argue, I mean, LeBron stepped in, but Kobe Bryant was still the fan favorite of most. And when you compare when you compare these things, their, their debuts, Derek Jeter debuting uh, in May of 1995, Kobe Bryant debuting in November of 96. Derek Jeter, seven World Series uh, appearances. Kobe Bryant, seven NBA Finals appearances. Derek Jeter, five World Championships. Kobe Bryant, five World Championships. Five rings each. Championship Series MVPs. Jeter has one, Kobe has two. So he's got him on that. All-Star selections, Kobe's got him beat there, 16 to Jeter's 14. Postseason winning percentage, this is probably the most impressive one. Jeter and Bryant have uh, the exact same winning percentage at 61.4%. I mean, that, that that's just remarkable. I mean, Kobe Bryant is the face of the NBA during that era. Derek Jeter is the face of MLB during that era. Identical, identical statistics. I mean, even their career earnings, if you look at those, Derek Jeter and Kobe Bryant's salaries, Neck and neck, Jeter finished with about $265.5 million, Kobe Bryant about $279.5 million, so he's got him beat a little bit there. Kobe Bryant, of course, a lot more talented than Derek Jeter, but both highly respected uh, first ballot Hall of Famers, and Kobe Bryant, obviously, a first ballot Hall of Famer in his own right, probably going to get the number 24, if not the number 24, both the number 24 and number 8 retired by all of NBA, um, uh, who knows when, but... Jeter, of course, retires two years before Kobe does in 2014. Kobe goes out with a 60-point performance against the Utah Jazz at the Staples Center in 2016. They become business partners afterwards, and again, it's just a very, very sad time 
in uh, the world today. Kobe Bryant dead at the age of 41 yesterday in a helicopter crash. His 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, uh, dies in the crash as well. Nine, nine casualties in that crash in uh, Thousand Oaks, California. Again, condolences go out to the Bryant family. A very, very difficult time. Uh, the last thing I wanted to get into, though, regarding Derek Jeter uh, on this road to Cooperstown episode of the O Show, I wanted to talk about Derek Jeter's start when he was first drafted by the Yankees coming out of Kalamazoo uh, High School in Michigan because initially he was too nervous to play for the Yankees. He actually called his mom during uh, uh, one, of the, one of the camps saying, I can't do this, I'm going to quit and come home and go to college. And his mom's like, all right, well, you're going to go to college and that's going to be it. And if it wasn't for Jeter's mom talking him back into playing, Jeter probably wouldn't have been the shortstop of the New York Yankees for 20 years. And Jeter's parents were always script, uh, 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 strict with him growing up when it came to grades and everything. He's like, you can't play baseball if you don't make the grades. Jeter was always persistent on grades, getting good grades, always relentless, got his grades, as well as his sister, Charlie. And Derek says it best himself. There were so many more talented players than Derek Jeter, but nobody worked harder than Derek Jeter, and that's why he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, the second. Now, this is actually kind of ironic uh, since he didn't get that uh, vote, and let's talk a little bit about that after this, but Derek Jeter is the second highest voted player, uh, number two behind Mariano Rivera, war number two his entire career. He's going to be the second highest vote into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, over the summer behind his great teammate and great friend, Mariano Rivera, who's going to be the first and potentially only unanimous Hall of Famer in big league history, making him arguably the best player ever. But Derek Jeter, for the one writer that didn't vote him in, I'm not going to scold him like Eric Hubs with Barstool or John Boy or any of those guys, but hear me out. The one argument you can make, and Jared Carabas makes this argument all the time, that Derek Jeter wasn't even the best shortstop on the Yankees during his career, and that A-Rod was, and that A-Rod was forced to move over to third when Jeter was should have moved himself to second base. I mean, to me, that's a bunch of BS. Derek Jeter, the classiest guy in baseball, the hardest worker in baseball. Yeah, Alex Rodriguez, definitely a better shortstop, uh, giftedly, has better raw talent than Derek Jeter ever had in his 20-year career. But Derek Jeter handled his business every day, every night, day in and day out, the absolute best way that an athlete could handle his business. Never got in trouble with the media. I mean, the guy dated, like, the entire city of New York, all those celebrities. I mean, they had it on ESPN, the starting... Uh, nine, the starting lineup of all the celebrities that he dated, and not one of those girls ever brought up anything dirty about him. You know how much dirt there is? There, or at least how much dirt there could be on Derek Jeter? For all of those girls not to say anything about him, he must be a pretty damn good guy. And when it comes to the actual play on the field, five world championships, never used performance-enhancing drugs, handled the media beautifully, was a friend of everyone, knew everybody's name, who he is as a person, what he accomplished on the field. It doesn't matter if he doesn't have the raw talent. He should be a unanimous Hall of Famer. And to me, that's the only argument that could be made, is that he didn't have the defensive stats. I mean, what, six gold gloves I mean that's not terrible yes he's not he doesn't have the raw talent that a Cal Ripken Jr. had or an Alex Rodriguez had or a Troy Tulowitzki had in his prime but Derek Jeter is one of the greatest baseball players of all time has the most hits in Yankee history one of the top five Yankees in history to go alongside Ruth DiMaggio Gehrig 
and Mantle. I mean, you got to give um, one vote. I mean, Mariano Rivera made his, his his case. He said, like, it was amazing feeling to have 425 people vote for me unanimously. And sometimes you can't even get two people in the same mentality to vote for someone they believe. But to me, Derek Jeter, uh, regardless, proud and happy that he's going in. The second, number two, most voted in Hall of Famer of all time, big league history, July 27th, 2020. Mark the date. Mark your calendar. Save the date. Derek Jeter going into the Hall of Fame. And you got to give a little love where love is due to the SpongeBob jacket wearing Larry Walker. Finally gets in on his final year on the ballot. Well-deserved for Larry Walker. With that being said, this was episode 148 of The O Show presented by Belly Up Sports, the road to Cooperstown for the captain, Derek Jeter. Remember to use TickPick.com if you want to buy your tickets for the Derek Jeter uh, ceremony, for the Hall of Fame ceremony. Go to TickPick to get $10 off your order using the promo code OSHOW10. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-10 for $10 off your order. And if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, remember, swole is the goal and size is the prize. Go to MechaNutritionStore.com for $20 off your next order using the promo code capital O-S-H-O-W-20. That's O-Show 20 for $20 off your next order at Mecha Nutrition. Hit it, Hootie. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.